This is In the Word with Malcolm Weber. But he says that you've been set free, you've been purified from your old sinful nature, so you are able to love one another. Genuinely, praise God. This is not something that you know you have to grit your teeth and just try to be some sort of superhuman or something or super Christian, but this is a part of the new birth that God gives us genuine love for the brothers. Welcome to In the Word with Malcolm Weber. Today, Dr. Weber moves forward to the second half of 1 Peter chapter 1, which expresses the greatness of God's salvation and exhorts believers to live in a way that is worthy of that salvation. Join us in the third part of this verse-by-verse exposition of 1 Peter 1, 10 through 2, 3. Now, in order for the Lord Jesus Christ to save the world, he needed to have three qualities. I'm going to give you a little test here. What did the Savior of the world have to be? He needed to be three different things. Anybody? He had to be holy, number one. Why did he have to be holy? Because if he wasn't holy, he would have had to pay the penalty for his own sins, right? So the Savior of the world had to be holy. What else did the Savior of the world have to be? Sinless, yep. He had to be sinless and holy. What else did he have to be? In order to be able to pay the penalty for man's sin, the Savior had to be... He had to be a man. Excellent. Good. Man had sinned. And so man had to pay the penalty for that sin. And so the substitute who bore your penalty in your place had to be a man. What was the third characteristic of the Savior of the world? What did he have to be? God. Excellent. Why did he have to be God? Because only God is infinite. And so only God himself could pay an infinite price, which was necessary to set you free from the infinite penalty of your sin. That's why it was the blood of God that was shed for us in our place, praise God, to pay the infinite price. That's why Jesus only needed to die physically, why he did not die spiritually why he was not separated from his father, why he didn't suffer in hell as a part of the atonement, why he was not sick and diseased upon the cross and all of that stuff. And I'm being polite when I call it stuff. That is totally wrong, even though it's a very popular charismatic teaching. But Jesus' physical death was sufficient to pay the full penalty for our sins because he was God and his death had infinite value. Now, look at this. In verse 19, Just in these few words here, Peter gives all three of those qualities. You see, Jesus had to be sinless so he could pay the penalty for someone else. He had to be man in order so he could die and pay the penalty. And he had to be God so that he could pay a penalty that was sufficient in value to pay the full price for all mankind, for everybody that's ever lived. Wow. That's that's quite a price, isn't it, to pay? He couldn't have just been an angel, which is what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, for example, that Jesus was just the angel Michael. But if he was just an angel, angels are finite beings. He could not have paid the infinite price that was necessary to set you free from the penalty of your sin. He had to be God. He had to be man. Unlike the Gnostics who taught that Jesus just appeared to be man and so forth, it was just an appearance. It was not a real humanity. 
But if Jesus was not a real humanity, then he could not have paid the penalty for sin. Right? So there's no salvation. If Jesus was not God, there's no salvation possible. If Jesus was not man, there's no salvation possible. And if Jesus was not holy, there's no salvation possible. Which is why we come against the false teaching that says that Jesus died spiritually and became sinful upon the cross. Because if he was sinful upon the cross, he could not have been the perfect substitute that we had to have to pay the penalty for our sins in fulfillment of the Old Testament types. And the Old Testament sacrifices were always most holy before, during, and after they were killed. And so Jesus was most holy. He had to be all of those. And look at what Peter says here. Look at this. But with the precious, what does that tell us? God, right? See, we're looking for man, holy, and God. With precious, right there we've got what? God, precious blood, what do we have there? Man, genuinely man, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, holy. Isn't that awesome? Right there in one verse, just in a few words. So all of these three qualities, his divinity, his genuine humanity, and his absolute perfection of holiness. Verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these lives. Jesus was foreordained by the Father before creation. Revelation 13 says that this lamb was slain from the creation of the world. He was ordained by the Father before creation, but then he was revealed and killed in these last times for your sake. Jesus died for you, you see, for you. That's why you have a duty towards him. If he died for you, then you need to live for him. You need to get rid of the sin and the evil desires and the ways of this world and all that old stuff that used to consume your life. He gave his precious life for you. For you. He didn't just say for the world here or for, you know, something, but you. That is why we must live for him. Verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Through him you believe. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, through our union with him, we are able to believe. You see, we believe through him. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith in God. So through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. God allowed his son to die upon the cross. But then after three days, to show that he had accepted that sacrifice as fully sufficient for all the sins of all mankind, God raised his son from the dead and then exalted him. He glorified him. He took him to the place of absolute supreme honor, the Father's right hand in heaven. And so your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope rest on the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith and hope are specifically in God who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. And then in verse 22, Peter gives his next exhortation here. And he exhorts us to love one another. He says, because we have a new birth by the word of God, therefore we should love one another. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. 
He says, you have purified yourselves. And he's referring to the new birth here. Remember in verse 2 of this same chapter, Peter speaks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And he's referring there to the new birth. And so this was what happened to you when you were saved. You were purified. Your motives were purified. Your thoughts were purified. Your actions were purified. You were changed when you were saved. You, know, you need to live in that and mature in that. But there was a change. There was a purification that took place. And he says, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And he's speaking specifically about obeying the truth and receiving salvation. This is also what he refers to in verse 2, the obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. You see, this is the, the obedience that he's talking about here, when you were saved. So he's saying that you have been born again, you have purified yourselves when you obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ and received the new birth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. He says, so that you do have love. You've got love. Wow. Now, you weren't sure about that, were you, sometimes? But he says that you've been set free, you've been purified from your old sinful nature, so you are able to love one another. Genuinely. Praise God. This is not something that... You know, you have to grit your teeth and just try to be some sort of superhuman or something or super Christian, but this is a part of the new birth that God gives us genuine love for the brothers. The Greek word, love for your brothers, can anybody guess what that is? It's Philadelphia. It's a form of the word Philadelphia, the love of the brothers. And he says, since you have this sincere love for your brothers, therefore love one another deeply. This is his command. God commands his church, love one another deeply. This is the purpose of the new birth experience. This is what comes out of it. And he says, love one another, love all believers, not only those of your own little group, not only those who are in your little church or your little denomination. Love one another, love the brothers, all the brothers. Don't only love those who look like you, who are maybe as smart as you are, or haha, or only those who are of the same culture or race as you are, or perhaps the same social status or the same wealth or whatever, but love all the believers deeply. And this forbids division over peripheral issues, doesn't it? I don't think he's going to tell us to love one another deeply and then to you know, stab each other in the back over issues that are straining gnats and so forth. He says, love each other deeply, deeply. Wow. Do it with energy, with strength, with vigor. Do it with persistence. And then, as if that's not enough, he says, love one another deeply from the heart. He's emphasizing the genuineness and the zeal of the love that we are to have for the brethren. And this is possible, guys. He says, this love is in you. You're able to do this because of the supernatural work that God has done in your heart by His Spirit in the new birth. Wow. You're able to do this. Praise God. For you have been born again. You see, this is the basis of what He just said. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through living and enduring Word of God. Your new birth is imperishable. It's living and it's enduring. And that's the new birth which 
gave you this love, which made you able to love the brothers. Therefore, since the new birth is imperishable and living and enduring, therefore your love for the brethren should also be imperishable, living and enduring. That's what he's saying here. Wow. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You were born again by the word of God. There were two agents in your new birth. There was the Holy Spirit and the seed of the word of God. The Holy Spirit took the word of God in your heart and through the word by the Spirit changed your heart. Verse 24. Four. And he's about to give some more scriptural basis for what he's saying. He doesn't want to just say, this is my opinion, but he's always bringing in scriptural foundation here. And so he's about to prove his statement regarding the living and enduring word of God, okay? By quoting Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8. For, and then he quotes, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. End of quote. That's Isaiah 40. You see, he's showing. See, the word of God, guys. See, the Old Testament says so. The word of God lives and endures forever. And this is the word which has given you the new birth. The new birth has given you love for the brethren. Therefore, your love should have this character of being imperishable and living and enduring. And then he says, this is the word which was preached to you. The word of God. He's saying that the preachers in the New Testament times used the Old Testament scriptures to preach the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word that was preached to you. Praise God. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, we'll do a few verses in chapter 2. He continues his exhortation because it flows right on. There's no chapter division here. Therefore, he's saying, you have this new life. It's the life, it's divine life, it's eternal life, it's imperishable life, it's holy life, it's separate life. It's life that God has given you by His Spirit through His Word. Therefore, since you have this new life, since you have this during life, and also since you're seeking to live in genuine love for the brethren, therefore, this is what you should do. Okay? And he says, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Whoa, what a laundry list, man. Rid yourselves. He says, do it. Do this. It doesn't say build up your self-esteem or any of that other trendy stuff. What he says is, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Wow. Rid yourself. This verse is the same verse that's used in Acts 7 when the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is a word that can be used of taking off of a garment. He's saying, do this. With the old life, put off the old man, put on the new. And specifically, rid yourself of everything that is contrary to the new life of love of the brethren. That he's just told us that we've been born again for that purpose. And he's got three groups here. He says, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Right? He's got three groups there, slander of every kind. Three groups of sins here, and all of them are of this world which is passing away. You are not passing away, therefore your life should reflect the eternal 
He says malice. Malice is when we are angry at another person, and instead of forgiving them and releasing that anger, we keep that anger in our heart until it finally rises up and we want to do something to hurt them or perhaps something bad happens to them and we enjoy that because of this malice that's in our heart. Then he says, get rid of all deceit. Deceit will mislead others, for example, by telling lies or in some way manipulating somebody else through falsehood. He says, get rid of this. Get rid of it all. And then he says, hypocrisy and In the Greek, that is hypocrisies, that's plural. All kinds of hypocrisies that there can be in our lives. There can be religious hypocrisy when we are looking like one thing, but in reality, we're a phony, we're something else. There can be hypocrisy in business, can't there, when you've got an appearance of one thing, but in reality, something else is happening. There can be hypocrisy in general relationships, when we have hypocrisy of friendship, when we speak loyalty and commitment to each other, but in reality, we're not. And then, rid yourself of all envy, envy and jealousy, when you are angry that somebody else is doing so well, because you're jealous, and you you want it, and you you want their good thing, and, and so forth. And then he says, rid yourself of all slander. This is when we speak against another person, or when we defame them, when we backbite. And Peter says, Rid yourself of it all. All this stuff. This stuff is not becoming to one who has been called for the eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom of holiness, the kingdom that is imperishable and incorruptible and will not spoil or fade. Rid yourself of all of this stuff. These are not words, guys, to be read at a wedding. These are not words to be read in some ceremonial Bible reading at some official church meeting on a Sunday morning in a liturgical church. This is what we're supposed to do in our lives. We're supposed to actually do this, to take this seriously. These are the words of God. Rid yourself. Quit it. Stop it. Put it off. All malice, anger, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Rid yourself of it all. And, like newborn babies, verse 2, crave pure milk. This is the other side of it. You must put off the old life and nourish the new life. Like newborn babies, you see, he's referring again to their regeneration, that they've been born again, and so now we're, we're babies and we're growing. And in order for us to grow, we must have suitable food. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave. This should be our attitude towards God, towards the Lord Jesus Christ, towards His Word. It should be a craving. We're newborn babies in the kingdom of God. How many of you have seen an infant? Uh, Most of you, I'm sure. And what is an infant's posture concerning his mother's milk? (laughs) It's it's craving, right? That baby knows exactly what he wants, right? And he's going to get it. He's going to make a... Because he's craving this, right? This is what he says should be our desire towards the Lord Jesus Christ, towards His Word. Crave pure spiritual milk. Notice the contrast there. Everything in verse 1 is all this yuck. It's all this deceit and all this darkness. This is pure. Crave the pure spiritual milk 
so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. As you put off the old and as you partake of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in fellowship with Him through His Word, then you will be nourished in the new life that He's given you by His Spirit. And this pure spiritual milk is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And it's the revelation of Him contained in His Word as revealed by the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now that you have tasted that He's good. See, you've already tasted the goodness of the Lord. So crave Him, you see. You know how incredible, how great He is, right? You've already tasted of Him. So continue. Think of your previous experiences in God, how great they are, and let them drive you to want more and more of God. Let them drive you in pursuing God. So you've tasted that the Lord is good. Notice also he speaks of a taste of God here. It's an experience of God. It's a real taste. He's not just talking about an idea or a concept or some spiritual theory, but we actually taste of God. We taste Him. But it's only a taste. right? We need more. We need more of God. And so we're receiving more and more of God in this life and ultimately in the next life. And we will know even as we are known. Praise God. We'll see Him as He is. As you come to Him, the living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to Him. Praise God. Let's stop there at the end of verse 3. We're so glad you joined us for In the Word with Malcolm Weber a weekly podcast featuring selected teachings from Dr. Weber's over 40 years of ministry. Find more teachings along with books, courses, tools, and other resources from Dr. Weber at www.leadersource.org. Tune in next week as we dive into 1 Peter 2, 4-25.